turn, if you have a Bible, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In this series, we're calling Fully Alive, exploring how the gospel brings personal, relational, and spiritual renewal. And today we come to a, a topic that over the years, a quality I've learned to value more and more, and one that I believe is so necessary, especially in our day and in our time, and that is the theme of resilience. First Thessalonians, I'm going to read verse 13 to 20. I'll read the text. We'll pray together once more and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to every one of us. First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Paul the Apostle says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets who drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person though not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that every person in this room and those watching online, those sitting outside, matter to you. And we confess our need for strength. We confess our need for encouragement. We confess our need for resilience. And so I pray that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our lives. May, as we open your word, may our hearts be open to receive and to believe what is true and what you say to us. Pray that you would change us today, that we would find ourselves leaving this place encouraged. And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that today they would put their faith and their trust in you and experience your love and your forgiveness and your hope. We ask this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, the legendary British Prime Minister Winston Churchill once said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. It was words like these and many others that were like an adrenaline shot of courage when millions of lives and many nations were entrenched in the brutal Second World War. It was a call to endure. It was a call to continue on and keep going. And many did. 
But when it was all over, people came out differently. Some marriages became stronger. Others fell apart. Some friendships were fortified. Other friendships disintegrated. Some countries banded together. Others divided. Trials, as we know, can change a nation. But trials can also change a person. We know that. And we're especially learning that in these last few years. We've seen it already. Some people grow bitter through the trial. And yet others, on the other hand, are transformed by the experience. My question for us this morning is, what makes the difference? When we face adversity, we must keep on going. Yes, but how? Resilience is, of course, the ability to bounce back, the ability to keep on going in the face of adversity, to adapt, even to grow. And we need it now more than ever. And so we ask, how can I become resilient? How can you become resilient? Well, for that answer, we turn to our text that, though doesn't mention the word resilience, is absolutely a description of resilience. And the backdrop is helpful. We learn in another New Testament book, the book of Acts, which records for us the earliest history of Christianity, that the Apostle Paul, who was a senior leader in the early church and a church planter, that he had landed in Europe in the first century, and he planted a church in a city called Philippi, and there he got beaten up for it. And eventually, he arrives in this city called Thessalonica, a very cosmopolitan city where he began sharing the Christian message and lives were changed. A church began. At first, everything seems to go well. But eventually, the situation for Paul becomes so difficult, the opposition to him and his message so fierce that he has to leave town in the middle of the night. And since the time of his departure, he was so concerned about this new church that he sent one of his co-workers, young Timothy, to check on them. And this letter that we're reading today is the result of Timothy's good report. The church is doing well. And so Paul's words here in this letter are an opportunity to encourage them in the difficulty of their circumstance. And friends, what we find this morning as we read this passage are lessons in resilience. And I need it. You need it. I don't know about you, but if you've been living the Christian life for some time, you've been a man or woman of faith for some time, there's a temptation to think that walking by faith is something that you had to do in the past. It's like a box you already checked off. Like, hey, I already walked by faith like 20 years ago. I did that. Like, why do I still need to keep doing that? My family and I, you know, we lived and planted a church in Los Angeles for 10 years. We walked by faith. That's done. Can't we retire now? Oh, wait, we went to London for five years. We walked by faith. Box checked. Aren't we done? No. We need to continue to walk by faith. We need to continue to face the obstacles and challenges and difficulties that come toward us. And the same is true for you. What we need is resilience. And there are three things I want to say, three things you need to know about resilience that we can learn from the text. I want to name them up front and then we'll walk through them. First, resilience is possible. Second, 
resilience is necessary. And third, resilience is worth it. First of all, you need to know that resilience is possible. When Paul begins this section, as we'll read in a moment, he begins with encouragement and confidence. He thanks God for these people. Why? Why would Paul be so thankful for and confident in people who are in such a fragile situation? Where does this gratitude come from? Where does this confidence come from? Was it because these men and women were naturally courageous people? Was it because they were well-educated? Was it because they were financially prosperous or had good living situations? No. He is full of gratitude and confidence when he thinks of them, not because of what they have achieved, it's because of what they received. And this makes all the difference in the world. Look at verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Oh, friends, there is so much here, but mercifully, I'm going to keep this sermon to a cool 40 minutes. But I want you to notice that the change brought about in the lives of these men and women, their ability to remain strong in the face of opposition did not originate within themselves. Paul didn't write this letter and say, hey guys, I'm so glad that you're naturally courageous or that when you do the strengths finder strength survey that your number one strength is resilience and tenacity or that you're like an ENFJ in the Myers-Briggs and so you, therefore you're naturally good leaders. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't thank God for anything that they have achieved. He thanks God for what they have received. And what was that? The very word of God. Here's why this is good news, friends. This is actually the heart of Christianity. All the change that God desires for you, he brings about in you and through you. It's not up to what you can naturally supply or bring to the table. God's not out there like, oh, I'm looking for a few strong men and women as a part of my kingdom. He doesn't say that. He doesn't look to my natural qualities or your natural qualities, and that's a good thing, and I'll be honest. I am not naturally a courageous person. I'm the type of person, naturally, to when the going gets tough, I'm like, well, that's unexpected. We should probably give up. <laughs> like that, I'm kind of a woe is me. That's my natural inclination. This is hard. We should quit. <laughs> but something changed when I became a Christian. Something made me courageous. It was the word of God. I had something to live for. I had something to stand on. Something changed in me. Something changed through me. My courage does not come from a personality. It comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what he references here. His reference to the word of God has first in his mind the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. We know this from earlier in the chapter. In verses 5 and 6, when he refers to the word of God as the gospel, the good news about what Jesus Christ has done in his life, in his death on a cross for our sins, and through his resurrection. 
But he also has in mind the Bible, the Old and New Testament, which we call the Word of God, which is ultimately about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This is where the resilience begins. It doesn't begin with what we achieve. It begins with what we receive. They, the Thessalonians, they received from God and they continually received from God. And that is why they were resilient. Friends, listen. God's word to us produces resilience within us. That means that for every single one of you, you're like, I'm naturally timid. I don't feel like I have what it takes. Some of you might be on the verge of giving up and just raising the white flag. But friend, you need to know that resilience is possible for everyone and for anyone who receives the word of God for what it is. Isn't that what he makes clear? He says, the gospel, the the Bible, it's not the word of man. It's the word of God. Paul didn't make this up. He says, I didn't come with you with some kind of hip Greek philosophy, but the word of God. The scriptures, the Bible declares itself to be the word of God. History vindicates the Bible as the word of God. Its unity underlines this and the experience of receiving it confirms it. So what is necessary to fan the flame of endurance and resilience in your life? Well, it's simple. You receive and believe. Receive the word of God and believe the word of God. And it's worth noting that these terms that Paul uses are in the present and continual tense. Meaning it's not just a one-time event. We continually receive the word of God. And we continually believe the word of God. That's how we continually experience the transforming power from the inside out. This is important because, listen, your spiritual life and your maturity will either grow or suffer in direct proportion to your view of Jesus and his word. If you have a low view of Jesus, you're like, he's a good guy. He's a teacher. I like him. Sermon on the Mount. It's great. Greatest hits. If that's like, if that's it for for Jesus, then you're not going to grow from that. If the word of God, you're like, yeah, I know the Bible is like the Bible or whatever. I read it like once a month. Like, yeah, no problem. Your life spiritually will suffer. You will not grow. But if on the other hand, you're like, Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's my savior. He's the one that brings me new life. The word of God is more necessary than my daily food. It's like a fire, a hammer. It's like honey on my lips. It's like a light unto my path. I need to feed on the word of God. It's more necessary than my daily bread. You're going to grow. It comes down to what's our view of Christ? What is our view of the Word of God? Do we recognize how vital the Word of God is? C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian thinkers of the last century, he put it like this, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It is easy to say you believe a rope is strong and sound as long as you're merely using it to tie a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a cliff. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? I think he makes the point well. If 
The rope is like, yeah, it's a nice rope. I'm sure it's strong. I'm going to tie this little box with it. It's a different evaluation than if, hey, my life depends on this. Friends, one of the ways in which we discover resilience and find resilience is by believing, receiving and believing the word of God to be so necessary for us and receiving it as truth. In fact, I I love the word in the original language here, receive. It actually means welcome, but it could be literally translated hospitable. It's where we get our word hospitality from. It means when we're talking about the Bible, when we're talking about the gospel, when we receive it, it's like welcoming someone into your home. Imagine your heart is at home and you're swinging open the door and you're saying, come on in. There's a place for you. Take the central place in my life. Come into the living room. You are welcome here. What is our attitude towards the word of God? Are we like, yeah, the Bible, I should probably read it. Or we're like, man, I'm desperate. I need the word of God. I I welcome the word of God. What is our approach when we come to church on Sundays? And we're like, yeah, the Bible's all right. It's a good book. Or are we like, it's the word of life. I welcome it. Friends, if you want to find resilience, open your heart. Welcome the word of God. Receive and believe. Trust in his word. As we receive his word, we begin to care about what God cares about. We begin to to see the way that he wants us to see. We learn who he is and how we are to live. It is powerful. It is at work in our lives. And as we receive and believe, we discover a strength beyond ourselves. Because listen, if my source of life is found in something that someone else can take away from me, then I'm doomed and it will not produce resilience in me. But if my source of life is found in something that not even death can take away, then you will become strong. You will become resilient. And it's possible for every single one of you. That's the first thing you need to know about resilience. It's not dependent on what you achieve. It's not dependent on your natural personality or your inclination. It's as we receive and believe the word of God and his gospel that we can become resilient. But secondly, you need to know that it is necessary. Resilience is possible. Also, you might be thinking, well, why does this even matter? Well, it is necessary. One of the great evidences that the gospel was received as the word of God for the Thessalonian men and women, was their willingness to suffer for it. Indeed, they did. And the Christian life will involve facing opposition. And what's required? Resilience. This might be an obvious point, but it's an important one to make. Because one of the reasons, in my opinion, Why so many Christians feel so fragile is they have mistaken expectations about the Christian life. They don't have right expectations. Let me use an example. Marriage. Marriage is amazing. Some of you are like, what's he going to say? Marriage is amazing. Marriage can also be challenging. Can we talk about this? But it's not because of your spouse, right? It's because of what it reveals within you, right? That's, that's the correct answer, by the way. If you're... Some of you are like, no, I'm pretty sure it's my spouse. We can talk later. <laughs> Marriage is beautiful, but it can also be quite challenging. But it is especially so 
for someone who has mistaken expectations. And I cannot help but to think of this really sweet young couple that I met in LA when I was pastoring years ago who were so excited to get married. And as we began their pre-marriage counseling, one of the first things that the bride-to-be said, she's like, oh, I can't wait to be married because I'm gonna get foot massages every day. <laughs> and I was like, you guys are adorable. <laughs> you guys are so cute. Now let's get into conflict resolution and what the Bible has to say about communication and sacrifice and forgiveness. And they're like, what? Why would we need conflict resolution? I'm like, ah, this is why we're doing premarital. So it can be challenging. It's amazing. It can be challenging, but especially if you have wrong expectations. There are some people whose view of the Christian life is the minute I put my faith in Jesus, it's all going to be like super easy and like nothing bad is ever going to happen. But you didn't get that thought from the Bible. Listen, there is no such thing as a trouble-free life. And there is no such thing as a trouble-free life of faith. In fact, the Bible promises that we will face trouble. In fact, the minute that these men and women, the Thessalonian believers, the minute they accepted the word of God, they became targets of trouble. And Paul is writing here to encourage them by saying, hey, I have faced similar troubles. Other churches have faced troubles like you. And I want to draw your attention to three types of trouble that he mentions here that show us why resilience is so necessary and how being aware of them can help us prepare for them. Because having right expectations about trouble in life can help build resilience for life. So he gives three examples here, three reasons why resilience is necessary. First, there will be social trouble. You will experience social trouble in the Christian life. Look at verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people, your countrymen, your community. You suffered from your own people the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews. In verses 14 through 16, he relates the opposition that these men and women faced for their faith to the opposition that the church in Judea faced for their faith. And in doing so, he's essentially saying two things. First, you are not the first to face trouble. And secondly, you're not alone. See, sometimes when we face difficulty as believers, we're like, what? Has this ever happened in the, Christ in the history of the Christian church? This is weird. And you read the Bible and you're like, oh, I'm not the first, right. But that also means that I'm not alone. There are other men and women who for 2,000 years have faced difficulty social trouble. Paul here is reminding us of the universal nature of Christian suffering. There's a long history. That's what he's saying. So what did a metropolitan church in a culturally Greek and Roman city have to do with a predominantly Jewish church in Judea? Well, the answer is a lot. And one thing they had in common was that they were both suffering from their own countrymen. There were some Jews in Judea who were hostile against the church. Now, some people are surprised when they read this verse. They think, wait, is Paul against Jewish people? Is he against all Jews? Is Paul anti-Semitic? No. A couple of reasons why that's important to make clear. 
Paul is referring to when he's referring to this opposition is not Jewish people in general. That's definitely not the case. A couple quick reasons for that. Jesus was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. The church that he's writing about in verse 14 in Judea is Jewish. He's not talking about all Jewish people. He's referring to a subgroup in Judea who rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and as a result, they were opposed to the preaching of the Christian message. They tried to stop Paul and the churches from growing. Specifically, he lays that out in verses 15 and 16. The Jews he's referring to are the ones who, verse 15, killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. There's a warning for those who opposed the gospel then, but there's also a warning for those who oppose the gospel today. And the warning is this. Those who reject Christ will be rejected by Christ. If you reject God's remedy, if you reject God's healing, if you reject God's forgiveness, you will not be forgiven. You will not be healed. If you do not want to be with God in his new creation forever, you will not be with God in his new creation forever. A never-ending rejection of God will result in a never-ending separation from God. Those who shut the door to God's presence in this life will, as a result, have the door to God's presence shut on them in the next life. And so he says in verse 16 at the end, in this way they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Meaning the wrath the result of their rejection has already come, meaning they already stand condemned like a dark cloud hanging over them. It will only be a matter of time before that is made complete if they do not turn and trust Jesus. If you're with us this morning and you're not yet a Christian, if you've not yet believed in Jesus, the invitation goes out to you. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you on a cross so that you could be forgiven of all your sin so that you could know that you will be with him forever and not separated from him forever. If that's you, today is an invitation for you to make that choice, to make that decision, to trust in Jesus today. Saying, Jesus, when you came and died on the cross, you took the wrath that I deserve. You took the judgment I deserve so that I didn't have to so that I could be adopted and accepted by you. That message goes out. And that's why Paul was so driven. He wants to preach this gospel. That's why the Thessalonian men and women continued to preach the gospel. But Paul is also being realistic. To follow Jesus means there will be times in which people will oppose you. There will be social trouble. Resilience means that you do not stop sharing the good news. Resilience means that you do not allow this opposition to stop you from doing good, even if it's from your own family or your own friends. There will be social trouble. Resilience is necessary. But secondly, there will be circumstantial trouble. Look at what he says in verse 17. 
But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Notice how practical Paul is. He wanted to see them, but he couldn't. They were separated. The situation was difficult. Friends, there will be time when the circumstances you are in will require resilience. Your plans will not always turn out the way that you thought. They won't. Due to the fact that Paul was kicked out of town, it separated him from their community and from their friendship. In fact, he even uses strong language here to capture the pain that he feels. We long for you. It's very clear. There will be circumstantial trouble. This can and will happen. And so resilience is necessary. It means you and I holding loosely to our plans, knowing it's not the end of the world if they change. And how many of us need to hear that? So many of us, we, we had this plan like 2022. I had you on lock. I had like the PDF for how this year was going to go. And we barely made it for, through January, which by the way, already feels like a year. Anyone? Someone's like, oh yeah, we got through January. It was a long year. I was like, yes, that's how I feel. And your plans have already changed, and some of us are undone by it, but we need to remember that we give our plans to God in pencil, not in pen. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Circumstances will not always go the way that we liked. Things will not happen the way that perhaps we thought. Don't let it derail you. There will be social trouble. There will be circumstantial trouble. But third there will be spiritual trouble. How Paul was blocked from seeing the Thessalonians, we do not know. But he clearly identifies a spiritual force behind it, a reality to which Paul refers to often. Look at verse 18. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Without making any apologies at all, the Bible not only acknowledges the existence and activity of God, but also the existence of the devil, showing us that evil is clearly multidimensional. There's personal evil, decisions, evil decisions that we can make towards one another as people. There's structural evil, the, the result of all these different decisions made in society that can do evil. But there is also spiritual evil. Paul, just like Jesus, acknowledges the existence of Satan as a real being who is, though not responsible for all evil in the world, stands behind much of it. As we are not told the details, we do not know the nature of how Paul was blocked from seeing the Thessalonians. But here's what I want you to notice. It did not diminish Paul's purpose. He's like, hey, people are against me, people are against you. Hey, circumstances did not turn out the way that I thought. Hey, even Satan opposed me, but I am not going to let that stop me from doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing. Resilience is necessary because there will be social, circumstantial, and spiritual adversity. And friends, what I want to say is this. Do not let adversity surprise you. And do not let adversity control you. I love the New Testament. It's so realistic. 
It's like, hey, here's what you can expect. But when these things happen, do not let them diminish your sense of purpose. Do not let them stop you from doing what is good, which leads to the last point. Resilience is possible. It's available for any one of us who receives and believes the word of God in the gospel. Resilience is necessary because there's going to be social and circumstantial and spiritual trouble. But thirdly, resilience is worth it. And I believe that this point is very important for every single one of us. Because there may be some like this morning, and I know the, the feeling, where you just feel like giving up. You're like, you know what? This is hard. I don't want to keep doing this. This is, I'm feeling the rejection, the, the battle within my own mind, the, the thoughts. Some of us are right there, just want to give up. But friend, if that's you, you need to know resilience is worth it. In what way does Paul communicate that? Each chapter of this book, 1 Thessalonians, contains a reference to the future hope of every Christian. And that is this truth. Jesus Christ will come again. Jesus Christ will return. Why is Paul so motivated? Why does he feel the way that he does about his work? And why does he continue to feel the way that he does about the people that he is serving? And how can you and I find the motivation to press on and to keep going and to endure? Well, we need to do what Paul did. He looked at his life and the life of other people in light of future glory. He looked at his life and he looked at the lives of other men and women in light of future glory. That's where he turns at the end of this chapter. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? See, when Paul writes these words and describes the reality of the hard circumstances that they are facing and he is facing, he also cannot do so without thinking about his future. He can't write this without also thinking about their future. And it is a future of hope. This second coming of Jesus where Jesus will come back to this world and he will renew and remake creation. Paul is essentially saying, I'm living for and longing for that day when the presence of God breaks in anew and afresh and brings restoration to this world. And so he uses these words, hope, joy, crown, glory. These are all words that Paul thinks about when he thinks about the future. So you can look at your life in light of future glory, and you can look at the lives of others in light of future glory. And that's what Paul does in verse 20. He says, indeed, you are our glory and joy. How can he say that? Because he's thinking of their future. Just like parents have great joy when their children arrive at the goal for which they have planned and perhaps prayed for and invested in, so Paul will have even greater joy when his spiritual children will weather the storms of life and reach their ultimate goal in the presence of God. And that image of a crown is beautiful in the same way that as a, a victor back in the ancient games would wear this laurel wreath crown displayed as a symbol of victory, that you made it to the end, Paul can display them 
as a symbol of victory. Say, hey guys, you are going to make it, and when you make it, I am going to rejoice just like we won a victory. Resilience is worth it because we are headed into future glory. Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus today, no matter the lies swirling around in your mind and in your heart or the messages that you hear within our culture or amongst the people that you are around, if your trust is in Jesus, you are headed to glory. And your life, used by the Spirit of God, can point others in the same direction. So my question is this. How would you live right now if you believed that that was true? How would each of us live right now if we truly believed that when we breathe our last, we're going to stand in the presence of God and tomorrow is not promised to us and our life is but a vapor, it's going to be short. How would we live right now if we believed that this was true? Or perhaps to phrase it another way, if you were there now, if you can just do this thought exercise for me, imagine you are in the presence of God right now. You've run the race. You've finished the course. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death, no more tragedy. Jesus will wipe away every tear from your eye and he will make all things new. You with me? Just imagine that day. Imagine you're there. How would you look back on this time? How would you look back on the year 2022? If you were there right now and you looked back, how would you look back on this time? What would you stop doing? What would you start doing? What would you continue to do? These are good questions. Think about how much effort gets put into like our, our jobs and, and friendships and careers or school or whatever it might be. And those things, as good as they are, they don't hold a candle to the greatness of God's glory. Friends, I need this because sometimes I feel like giving up. Even being like a pastor, even being in ministry, sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? Just ask my wife. She's like, he says it daily. I'm just like, ah. But then I read the word of God and I hear and I'm reminded, oh my goodness, this matters. One day I'm going to be in glory. My life can point other people to healing and wholeness in the presence of Jesus. I read the word of God and it puts, you know, strength in me. Or as one theologian philosopher said, the word of God puts iron in your blood. Ah, I love that. I'm like, yes. I need to be strengthened. I need to be reminded. Paul here is anticipating that day. And in doing so, he's actually reflecting the endurance of Jesus Christ himself. Because we're told that when Jesus came to this earth, he endured. He was perfectly resilient. He lived a perfect life, but he also died on a cross. Why? To bring us into glory. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ endured the cross, despising the shame but for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It was you. That's why Jesus endured. That's why he suffered. That's why he died. To save you. To make you 
new. When Jesus looked at this world, he said, bringing you to myself is worth the cost of laying down my life. And it's trusting in him, in his power, receiving him, welcoming him, that we find resilience, faith in him. We know that faith will not always take you out of the problem, but our faith in Christ will take you through the problem. Faith will not always take away the pain, but will give you the ability to handle the pain. Faith will not always take you out of the trial, but give you peace within the trial. Faith will not always end the trouble, but will cause you to endure through the trouble. Paul the apostle knew this. But he also knew that glorious day that awaits when you reach that finish line and that you would get there by the strength and grace of God and it put courage into his heart. Like he says in his other letter to a Corinthian, the Corinthian church, he said these words, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Friends, that's true for every one of you who welcomes Jesus. This resilience is available to you by trusting in Jesus, receiving him. It's necessary because we're going to face troubles, but it is worth it because of future glory. We're not going to get to heaven and look back on this year and say, I talked about Jesus too much. It's not a thing. You're not going to get to heaven and look back at this time and say, I prayed too much. It's not a thing. You're not going to look back on this time and say, I was too invested in the body of Christ. It's not a thing. You're not going to look back on this time in life and say, oh, I was too resilient. It's not a thing. You're going to see Jesus Christ in all his glory, and you're going to see redeemed men and women all around you, and you're going to be like, worth it worth it. Friends, God wants to put courage into your hearts this morning. God wants to put hope in your hearts this morning. God wants to produce resilience in you this morning. So open your heart, welcome him, receive him. That's where you find the strength. Let's do that now as we pray. Father, I pray right now for those who perhaps just feel like giving up, those for whom it may just feel too difficult right now, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would put courage into their hearts. I pray that you would produce resilience within them, not because of what they can achieve or what they can supply or what they and their natural ability can do, but because you are powerful and you are great and you are the author and finisher of our faith and you are the one that's going to take us by the hand and lead us all the way to that finish line. And when we fall down, you lift us up. And when we sin against you, you forgive us. And when we run out of strength, you become our strength. And when we're struck down, we are not destroyed because you cannot be destroyed. God, I pray for anyone who just feels like giving up right now that your Holy Spirit would help them and meet them right where they are. For those who just lost sight of future glory, remind them that this is worth it. It is worth it to keep going. And you're going to be with them as they do it.
You're going to strengthen them as they do it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to every single part of our lives. And for those who do not yet know you, I pray that right now they would not delay, but put their faith and their trust in you as their Lord and as their Savior and receive that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for their sins and to rise again to give them new life forever. I pray that they would trust in you right now and know the experience of being loved, forgiven, and accepted forever. Spirit of God, would you do that? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I cannot encourage you more to take whatever that circumstance is. It could be your thought life. It could be some of your relationships. It could just be everything mixed together. Welcome Jesus into your circumstance. Welcome Jesus into those thoughts. Welcome Jesus into that part of your life. There are men and women up here to my right and to my left. They're wearing the prayer lanyards. They're here to pray with you and to pray for you. It's one of the most powerful ways that we can welcome God to do his work in us. Because it's in asking that we open ourselves up to him. So I invite you this morning to be courageous and to come and to push your way past the people in the rows and just come up and say, I need courage here. I need resilience in this part of my life. Maybe you don't even know how to pray. That's fine. You can just come and you can ask, where is it that you feel that you need your head lifted up, that you need your perspective reshaped? Come and pray and watch what the Holy Spirit will do. God wants to put courage into your heart. So come up and pray and welcome that. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm calling you to take communion this morning. Communion is a physical act representing our spiritual relationship with Jesus. As you eat the bread, you remember that Christ's body was broken for you. As you drink the cup, you remember that his blood was shed for you. It's us saying, hey, I'm feeding on this. This is where my strength from. It doesn't come from me. It comes from Christ. So we can confess our sin and thank God that he forgives us. And you could take communion today with a smile on your face and a song in your heart because he's your victor. He's your conqueror. He's the author and finisher of your faith. And I invite you to come down to the carpets. You can lift your hands. You can get on your knees. It's one of the ways in which our physical posture represents the posture of our heart saying, God, I'm needy, but you're strong. Some people say, I don't like to lift my hands because it makes me look needy. I'm like, yeah, we're all needy. That's why Christians go like this. <laughs> We're like, God, you're awesome and I need you. Like a child reaching out for their parent. We can just do that. We can just say, hey, right? We're all needy here. This is church. We don't wear a mask. We don't pretend to have it all together. We are needy people who have a wonderful Savior. Amen? We can express that as we sing and as we cry out to him and worship him now. Let's do that. And what we'll find is the Holy Spirit putting courage into our hearts. So let's do that now. Let's press in.